Welcome to an extra episode of Strange New Takes. We're going to review the Star Trek Discovery novel, Wonderlands, by Una McCormick. This should be a shorter episode than usual, and uh, just like we say before all of our usual podcasts, if you don't want to get spoiled on what this book is all about, uh, you should probably not listen to this until you've read the book, because we are, we are not uh, anti-spoiler around here. We welcome spoilers. That's why my car has about five of them. So... <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move into discussing this, but maybe I should just give a quick summary of what uh, what happened in this novel. Um, in a desperate desperate attempt to prevent the artificial intelligence known as control from hey, this is all about what happened before. Okay, uh, sorry, I'm going to start that again in terms of reading that summary, but I'm not going to cut it out because you, dear listener, deserve to hear sometimes how I start reading something and then realize halfway through that it sucks. Uh, Burnham has somehow arrived in a place for diff- far different from anything she could have imagined, more than 900 years out of her time, with discovery nowhere to be found, and where the mysterious cataclysmic event known as The Ban has utterly decimated Starfleet, and with it, the United Federation of Planets. How then can she possibly, that is terrible grammar, how then can she possibly exist day to day in this strange place? How then indeed? What worlds are out there waiting to be discovered? Do any remnants of Starfleet and the Federation possibly endure? With any, with more questions than answers in this summary, nope, sorry. With more questions than answers, Burnham must nevertheless forge new friendships and alliances if she hopes to survive this future long enough for dis- the Discovery crew to find her. Dot, dot, and final dot. All right, y'all. What'd y'all think about this book? Uh, it, so I, I thought it was interesting because um, uh, it it seems like the pitch of this book is sort of like, okay, well, what if we had a season of Discovery that really just only had Book and Burnham in it, and the structure of this book really is written like it's a season. Like that, there are uh, each of these chapters that we're going through really does feel like a separate episode. Like there's a weird generation ship. That's uh, one of the clunker episodes that always happens in the middle of the season. And uh, then there's some other ones that are like all just a, a supposed to uh, bat uh, a certain uh, topic over our head, uh, such as like capitalism is evil. Um, and we all like learn a moral lesson at the end. And it's, uh, I, it like sometimes it fell flat, but I I kind of in, enjoyed having this like alternative season uh, being pitched to me in book form. I, I mean that that is what it is, right? It's it's essentially an entire season of Star Trek that occurs mm-hmm. in the year between when Burnham shows up in the future and Discovery shows up in the future. It's between the first and second episodes of season three, is where this book is placed. I can't remember. Do they? Does Discovery show up at the end of the book? They did. I couldn't remember if they if they dropped that in or not. So <clears throat> yeah, there's the there's the threat of uh, she pretends that Discovery has come back uh, when they uh, when she's going in to invade the um, the starbase. Right. Uh, but but yeah, the, there's the the actual hint later on. Did anyone um, else think that happened awfully fast? The getting like taking over the other star base <laughs> like, like oh this star base is mine now and, and I, I don't I mean, know it just seemed awfully fast 
and especially like when I'm because I'm reading it, I was reading it on Kindle, and it shows you like the percentage of how how far you are in the book. And it, I'm pretty sure it was something like I'm like I'm like 87 percent of the way through this book, and we like still haven't resolved this shit. Like, what's going on? I know it was <laughs> like, like oh. it was like build up, build up, build up. Two seconds of resolutions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, I, I, I guess uh, I, we're, we're going to be just going all over the place for, for this one. But I, something that I, I did appreciate about this was that we had, um, I think this was a better pitch for Burnham as far as like understanding what the hell was her headspace. Because uh, for, for me, like the, all of the sort of questioning, like, should I be Starfleet? Like, should I be the captain or, or anything like that? Uh, I didn't really get it when we were watching season three of of Discovery, but this this book at least like put me into her headspace better. Um, so I, I feel like we should have at least gotten some of these episodes, if not necessarily an entire season of this. But and a lot of that headspace was basically, why aren't things free anymore? What <laughs> currency? Incredible. I can't believe it. Uh, and then Booker <gasps> like, no, Burnham, this is the way things are now. You're a fool. And then Burnham be like, oh, we are having a conflict. And yet I find you attractive. What is happening? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm making fun that of That happens that. like at least 10 times throughout the book. That exact <laughs> exchange. I think it's more than 10 times. <laughs> it's every time they interact. It's just it like, is. yeah. <laughs> yeah it it i i, I don't know that, that, that stuff like this is and maybe this is why star trek for the most part just like hand waves the whole that they're like there's no money thing because it doesn't really hold up to any scrutiny <laughs> yeah, it doesn't and make the, any the, sense the writers yeah. do not understand anything about um economics just like uh burnham does so so it, it's sort of a i i i don't know like i'm excited for someone to like write a star trek book it probably exists out there where like there's actually like a very good like takedown of like why the previous system was bad and and whatnot but for the most part we just get like the uh uh the high school kid who uh is really pissed about uh like that boomers did something and like therefore all money is bad and like we never get like into the substance of anything and it I, I, I don't know, like lore wise, I'm, I'm really interested. Like, what's so cool about the Moneyless Society? Like, I want to know why it's great. <laughs> I have one quote that I highlighted that actually I think I read this and I was like, wow, yeah, this sums it up right there. Because this is how I feel all the time. But the energy that's eaten up worrying about money, worrying about supplies, worrying about resources. At last, I fully understand what our moneyless society did for us, freed us to concentrate on our higher needs. So while I might have had the time, some of these flights feel pretty long. I haven't had the energy or the inclination. And I was just thinking about how many people feel that way. I mean, because they're so tied up in trying to make money, to pay bills, to take care of all of their like just basic survival needs mm -hmm. that it totally obliterates any energy that could be used to, you know, do other things that could help you get ahead or help you, uh, you know, just make life more enjoyable or whatever. Absolutely. I think that's a really, really, really good call out there. And I, 
I wish we in this book had explored that psyche to change a little bit more and without book being like, I don't understand you. Uh, but that being said aside, I think I think that was that was I think getting that understanding of Burnham adjusting to a new, completely new headspace, like Adam says, helps me think about it. And I think the other thing is reflecting on how we're now in a scarcity situation with just about everything. I think that's one thing that this mm-hmm. book did for me in, in a big way is explain to me how the forced burn society is just there's they, they need the money because they need something to that their resources are no longer abundant. Uh, people just can't zoom everywhere. Information isn't abundant. Nothing is abundant anymore. So people need some form of exchange to to represent the scarcity and and to to represent the the exchange of resources um and i don't think that i had fully internalized just how different the post-burn society was from that society in in uh that we'd seen previously in previous star trek and i think one part is that mental space thing but also then we we visit this planet that refuses to uh, allow any outsiders in they don't send any signals out they've cut themselves off purposefully from the rest of the universe we see we hear a log of a doctor or not a doctor a politician who's going into the mm. post-burn society and how there are conspiracy theories and and how the people of our planet don't trust what's happening and it, it's just i i guess in a, in a big way getting beyond these like small things it just helped flesh out the universe of season three in a way that season three really didn't uh at least for me yeah it's it's one of those things we made fun of the first episode of season three for just like having book explain literally everything to burnham but honestly maybe we did need that second and third episode that was just like okay here's a here's a giant lore dump because we've changed everything and like you're not going to quite get what's going on um and I, i i agree that the like sort of that background stuff was really helpful in this book and i think it was um yeah, it's I guess it's maybe a shame that most or that so much time was spent on the just like no money is bad book. I don't understand. Like uh like I I just feel like the um maybe the world building was a little bit better than the straight up dialogue that was happening between them uh in this book. I I did I did find though there was I did find the adjustment to learning how Burnham was kind of fending for herself and making that currency happen in her life. Uh, like collecting those star Starfleet like memorabilia, like exchanging mm-hmm. things with cosplayers. <laughs> that was hilarious. By the way, Starfleet <laughs> yeah, cosplayer. Uh, and I think I think the other thing that I appreciated getting a lot of was how Starfleet's reputation had changed over the years. And I, I'm curious, Emily and Bell, what y'all thought about how the the change in Star the perception of the Federation and of Starfleet in this book how y'all felt about that because it was it was such a stark change in how at least how we starfleet and federation reputation has been portrayed in previous star trek yeah i mean i think it, it kind of sets us up for some potentially compelling stories next season um to have to redeem the federation i mean if there was no tension or conflict there then there there would be no story to write um you know, so they have, well, they have some I, challenges. I, but I feel right? like they, he's frozen, so I don't know in, if that's me. This period Uh-oh. isn't necessarily an ally. 
Uh-oh. Um, but but some people still are, right? So they have some people to, to win over and some work to do. What, what do you think, Emily? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I was all totally frozen. So I have no idea what you just said. But... <laughs> I was going to, I don't know if you touched on this or not, but um, one of the things I I think I would have liked to have known a little more about, there were little hints, and maybe they are going to explore this in the fourth season. There were little hints of um, the Federation falling apart before this happened, which we already know Mm, just based on, on, I can't remember if there were the number, there was something about the flags. There were some different numbers of Stars. planets represented on the flags. Um, so we kind of had that idea, but I felt like there were little hints of it scattered throughout the book, but not enough to really explain it. Like, like clearly the Federation when it fell was not what the Federation was when Burnham was experiencing the Federation. And mm-hmm. so it would just be interesting to explore what, like what it was that started to, um, that caused that to happen or that, that made it, cause it really seems like the Federation wasn't necessarily an organization that was fully trusted or um, maybe wasn't always putting the interests of some of the farther flung worlds. Um, yeah. At cause the we, core. we have, and, yeah. we saw the, the uh, some of the planets were like that. We had people talking about how the temporal cold war uh, left uh, caused the Federation to leave several other planets behind. Uh, mm-hmm. And real, I think, uh, I forget exactly which one, but uh, the Federation kind of hadn't even involved themselves since the, cold, the Temporal Cold War's end mm-hmm. before the burn actually happened. And so, right. like, yeah, these people already thought that the Federation was leaving them behind, and then the Federation and not everything else, like, stopped existing. Um, which, yeah, I, I thought that was a, a, a really interesting thing way to frame things but also like uh drove home a little bit the point of like a temporal cold war kind of doesn't make any sense i don't understand like (laughs) (laughs) well also a a kid having grief at his mother dying causing an entire explosion of all whatever you call or dilithium doesn't make sense either so yeah, yeah it, it's 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 like a, I, I appreciate you having a theme season three of Discovery, but like, did it really have to be something so nonsensical? <laughs> it really, like, I was really quite disappointed when that was what caused the burn. I was like, really, really, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The answer like, was love all along. <laughs> yeah, like it it couldn't have been like a Romulan plot or something, or I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It couldn't have been strange energies. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. But, uh-huh. um, <laughs> well, you know, okay. I have to say, so this is like deviating from the theme, but I have to just lift this up so it makes it into this podcast. Was anyone else offended by first Burnham and then Burnham and Book being called Scruffy? Did anyone else find that troubling? There were two different times where Burnham mm. was described as scruffy. She, as, and the second time she was described as scruffy, they described both Book and Burnham as scruffy. And I just, I found that offensive. <laughs> so I don't know, like, that mm. just seemed kind of vaguely racist to me. Because I was like, what race is this author? And so I went and looked, I don't know. It just kind of, that's how it felt. When I'm like, would you have mm. described... I don't know. It just, if it was just the one time describing Burnham that way, I would have been like, okay, fine, whatever. Although I don't know what it would be about Burnham's appearance that would make her look scruffy. 
um, just the way Burnham generally, you know, yeah. has appeared on screen to us. But then when they used it to describe both Burnham and Book, and I was like, hmm, what's the similarity between Burnham and Book? Hmm. What could that be? Why would you have used that word a second time? To Anyway, I just didn't like that. Fair enough. Yeah, fair that, enough. One, that one completely flew over my head, but yeah. And I mean, um, I, it, it, it also is, I think, uh, one of those things where you go look at what Burnham and Book look like in Star Trek Discovery Season 3, and it's like a whole bunch of, like, designer leather, like, costumes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scruffy's like... not the right word to apply to them. Like, yeah. the only thing I could... sexy. <laughs> yeah. Like, to me, to the way I read it, I read it as a... That they were described that way because of their hair is how I mm. that's mm. kind of how it felt to me, because um, there are other words that people use to describe African hair that are offensive. And it had mm. that same kind of feel for it. So anyway, I just and I don't know if that's just me being ultra sensitive about that, but I just I don't like it. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, again, though, I'm looking at the, at the outfits over here that they, they I pulled up a picture and it looks like the burn just had like a preponderance of barber, great barbers and designer outfitters. Like that was, you know, <laughs> society might have collapsed, but those two industries flourished. Um, well, that's that's what you get when money's back around. So right, uh, exactly. The, the, when you have when you have the federation, you have to wear like these really terrible uh, onesies uh, that show off your junk if you're a man. Uh, oh, and gosh, yeah. not in a flattering way, uh, but uh, <laughs> Bill's just face. watch. So this this is how you become rich in the like post burn society is just invest in leather pants. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a much. booming industry, very successful. Everybody's wearing them. The other so, thing that I have to oh sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, okay, go ahead. this is my last thing I'm going to bring up. About, so I have this thing. It seems to me, I've read a fair number of Star Trek novels. It seems to me that they like to use words for things that none of the rest of us use. Have any of you ever used the word equable in your life? Or do you use the word equitable? You know what yeah. I mean? Like oh, equitable. Well, it... I've never, I've never used equitable. I'm like, what the hell does that word mean? Have they like done, like, did they miss some letters? And I went and looked up, e and it is a word. B L E. Well, you know, the the author is British, which is actually apparent. So is I, I don't know about that word in particular, if that's a Britishism or not. But there are death. It's very clear to me reading it that um, sh she'll say things like, where an American would use the helping verb do. Uh, British person might not. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like, haven't you any appetite? Well, yeah. It's, See, it's, and I'm, obviously, I'm, you know, no American yeah. would ever say that. You know, yeah. But I so told, that, like, I'm I'm a total uh, Anglophile as far as like I, I I'm totally tuned in to to like language differences and because I listen to lots of podcasts that come out of the UK. I've just never heard. Although I'm looking it up, and maybe it's not they weren't using it the way I was thinking of because it says of a person not easily disturbed or angered calm and even tempered but they just use the word equable several times and i'd never i'd never heard that word before and the other one yeah, was um what was the other one uh like because i know like oh so you have aluminium in the uk oh, yeah, yeah. and we would say aluminum you know like so i know there's like some differences like that or I'm, you know, I read tons of Harry Potter. And so I know, like, you know, anyway, so little <laughs> things with that. 
Quiet tend was another one. I've heard it before, but it's just not a word that we use very often. So it just was funny to me. Or objects de art. It's been I'm sorry. Some time Can you just since call someone, it art pieces? It's 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 been some time since someone studied for their SAT verbal. I see. <laughs> I know. There you go. I am pretty old. Thanks a lot for pointing that out, Matt. Are you getting me back for calling y'all millennials who need to have participation trophies? <laughs> I, I, you know, I. Uh, a lot of this is now making sense why like tea drinking tea was this big deal in this book also like i feel like there was a previous star trek novel by una mccormack about cricket then there was one about crumpets uh another one about bad <laughs> teeth this is all lies so bad. <laughs> this is all lies um oh, Lordy. yeah okay yeah so but the tea thing was kind of i think there's a direct parallel there uh, oh, which yeah, brings me sense. to the voice actress for the for the book, Jennifer Lavoy, who is a prolific voice actor, has been in a bunch of um, TV roles as well. Generally, a very good performance on the audiobook. I enjoyed it. I think her take on Burnham and book in particular sounded like the the characters and the actors who portray them mm-hmm. pretty much. One unfortunate area where she failed somewhat was in the Indian accent that she tried to give to Aditya Sahil. He does not sound anything like he does on the TV show. And I mean, you know, Jennifer Lavoie is a uh, an American. So I, I don't, ex- I think the, the, I actually kind of prefer that it wasn't the Indian accent that a lot of American actors go to. Because, you know, we end up sounding like Apu from The Simpsons, which I don't like. And isn't actually what yeah. we sound like in India. So so gratitude on that side, but we basically got this like amalgam of world accents for Sahil. And I think there's a point at which I would have just preferred if she just used her like normal voice. So um, that was just a little bit difficult for me to hear. But I think if you're not an Indian person, maybe you probably would have to tackle this a little bit less if you're listening to the audiobook. So my point is, if you're trying to decide between the two of whether to listen to this in audiobook format at some point, do it. It was a good performance mostly, but it did have some kind of uh, slight grading things for me. But Any other final notes about Wonderlands? Anything else that y'all wanted to get out about this yeah. book? Yeah, so I... Um... Initially in this book, I was liking the character of Remington better as an antagonist than, uh, I forget the name of the uh, Orion person in uh, Um, uh, I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah. Osira. (laughs) Osira, that's it. Osira, yeah. So, like, Remington at least seemed like an interesting character when we didn't know anything about her. But uh, I think... What 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 sucked for me is that, uh, it seems like Star Trek is is keeps going into this um, realm that feels antithetical to like it's what it's trying to say in general is it always turns out that people who are almost like the Federation but not quite they're secretly evil uh, and you shouldn't trust them and that everything would have been better if instead they were colonized by the Federation and uh under their control and it's just like i don't understand why that has to like why why can't they like i thought it would be interesting if there really was someone who was trying to capture some of the stuff that the federation had and like was just doing their best maybe it wasn't perfect but we're all trying here uh, and instead it was just like no i actually am 
I have this very nice station and it, it exists because I have a I'm band evil. of criminals that like enslaves people. <laughs> and like, that's how I get here. I'm like, that, like it, it didn't have to be this heavy handed. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's a, a longstanding trope in Star Trek, right? The bad guy. Reveal, it, it definitely right? is. They, you meet a group of people and it seems like they might be nice but then you find out that they're really actually bad and the villains and, you know, they kind of betray our, our heroes. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I guess Vanguard. This... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Uh, well, we've gone a little bit over where I thought we would be. So I'm going to bring our discussion to a close. Dear listener, do listen to or read Star Trek Wonderlands if you haven't already. I don't know how you got to this part in the episode after my spoiler warning if you hadn't already done that. But uh, we like the book, it sounds like. Everyone liked the book. No need to rate. Yes or no. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah. it, it, you have to be a Star Trek fan. To, like, actually, as a book, I think it's, like, not very good. <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody would just read this, right, if you're not a Star Trek fan. Right, and poor, poor Una McCormick just, you know, I mean, she gets a commission to write this in probably like six months or something and just has to like, like, you know, spit it out and get it done. But um, it's fun if you like Star Trek, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I put it on the cover of the, of the paperback. There you go. All right, everybody, we will return with uh, a normal episode of Strange and Jackson. Bye.